Hello, everyone, and welcome to Through the Undertow, the podcast geared towards parents and caregivers raising children who are victims of child sexual abuse. I'm Nicole Lowell, your host. As always, none of the advice given can take the place of your own medical and legal professionals, but we hope you're able to gain some additional knowledge in your quest to help your children. Each episode page on our website, as well as the show notes, will list any trigger or content warnings, so please take a look if you need that info. Now, with that, come join me as we wade through the undertow. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today. This is the first episode that's going to be published in probably close to a year. So thanks for being patient and keeping up with things for that long. This has definitely been a long quote unquote week. Obviously, weekly was a little too ambitious for me to start out with. So again, I appreciate you coming back, or even if you just discovered us, welcome and thank you for being here. Today's episode is going to be under a title of The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And I'm trying to get some titles out so you guys have an idea of at least what the episodes are about. You can kind of decide if you really want to listen or not. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly episodes are going to be just me kind of filling you in on what's been going on. I don't anticipate doing those too frequently, but you know, I think it's important that everybody knows that they're not alone and not just that they're not alone, but how they're not alone, that I'm definitely going through the same struggles that you are, or certainly similar struggles. And also to kind of give you an idea of what I've tried and maybe what works and what doesn't. And hopefully we can kind of go from there. It would be awesome if you guys could give feedback and let me know if there's any particular topics that you want to talk about or want me to talk about. If there's any particular people that you want to have on as guests or even just particular topics that you'd like to discuss so I could find a guest that is an expert in that area. Coming in the next few weeks, I actually have multiple episodes recorded, but editing them was just more than I could handle at the time. So coming up, we'll have an episode on EMDR therapy and what that is and how that works. Also somatic experiencing. I interviewed a couple whose daughter had some issues and another mom who went through some similar things to what other parents have gone through. And just there's a lot of good information coming out in the next coming weeks now that I've found someone that can help me edit these podcasts and get them out to you. So again, be patient. Please look forward to much more new content coming your way and let me know what you think. So we'll get started. The good, the bad, and the ugly, as I said, is going to be just me filling you in on what's going on in my life. If there's you know, going to be an episode about a particular topic with a particular expert, I'll just title that episode as such so that you know what to look for and what it's going to be about. We'll also have some episodes coming up that'll be called Table for One. Those episodes are going to be just me speaking on whatever topic it is. I feel like that's important for y'all to know the difference between whether or not I'm having someone on who might be an expert in EMDR or me speaking on my own behalf of what I believe to be important. With that, let's get into it. Last time I spoke to you was actually more than a year ago. And so what's been going on since then, as obviously everyone knows, we were hot in the middle of a COVID pandemic. And how did that impact everyone? It was really rough for, I think, most of us, but it also impacts people who are either being abused or have been abused, I think, in some respects, greater And it was interesting to note how it really impacted my 
children in different ways. For my son, he has become even more isolated and withdrawn. He's basically agoraphobic at this point, doesn't like to go out, doesn't really like to talk to people on the phone. He's always had issues with that, but but it's just gotten more severe over the course of the pandemic, which makes it difficult because he's the older one that theoretically should be able to do those things on his own, that should be able to take some of that off my plate to be able to, you know, make his own appointments or call and ask questions. And that's just not something that he's able to do. And um, pushing him to do those things before he's ready is not in any way, shape or form helpful. So he's definitely in therapy. And I think the really important and good thing to note is that he finally found a therapist that he really loves and who, even when he's not in a good mood and really doesn't want to go to therapy, he pushes himself to now. It's much easier for him to sort of force himself to go. And whenever he's done with therapy, he always walks away feeling better and being so grateful for the therapist that he has. And that's something that I think is a lesson for anyone out there who maybe their child is not happy in therapy. That again, therapy is such a personal thing. And if your child is not happy with the therapist that they have, I would encourage you to find a therapist that they are happy with. And it doesn't have anything to do with the qualifications of the therapist. That therapist could be extremely qualified, but if there's not a personal connection, then it doesn't allow your child to be vulnerable in the ways that they need to be. It doesn't allow your child to trust that therapist in the ways they need to, and it can hinder their progress. My son is starting to do well. We also, for those of you who don't know, he was having tremendous amount of trauma seizures. And the problem with trauma seizures is that because they're based in trauma and not in any form of epilepsy, there's no medication that you can take to make them better. So he was having many trauma seizures. And the only thing that would help was and is actually medical marijuana. So he does take that to help him with his seizures, but they were getting bad enough and frequent enough, even with the medical marijuana, that we had to just try and find a solution. And one thing that we've tried is ketamine. It's a medication called ketamine. And when delivered in proper legal form, because there is a legal form of it out on the streets, but when it's delivered in proper legal form, it can really help with people that have PTSD. And he went through one short round. He has some other things going on. And unfortunately, we have to get those taken care of before we can continue that treatment. But even with just the short amount that he had, I personally have noticed a difference, at least in his trauma seizures. I can't say that we've noticed a difference in all the other things that have been going on with him, but even that is just a start and really, really miraculous. So I would encourage you all that if you've been trying to have even yourself or your children in any way help through various medications and you're struggling to find the right one, then that could be a potential solution to talk to your provider about and see what they have to say. And you can certainly go online and search ketamine and and do some research in that way as well. At some point, we're potentially going to look at another treatment called TMS, which is essentially a magnet, and they place it close to your brain, and it helps to rework some of those broken wirings that are in there due to your trauma and to potentially help in that regards. So again, another thing that I would encourage you all to look at, it's something that has shown good promise with some previous patients that have PTSD, so something to consider. 
but he's working really hard. I can see that he tries. He still has a lot of things obviously going on. And unfortunately, due to the severity of the abuse that my kids went through and how long his was in particular, the triggers are definitely still there. He has moments of up and down. You know, it's very much a roller coaster ride. Essentially, he'll be doing really well. And then all of a sudden, it's like his brain decides, well, you're doing really well. So I'm going to pile this heap on you of whether it's triggers, memories, nightmares, whatever it is. And he has to kind of work through all of that all over again. And so it almost starting from scratch again with his anxiety and flashbacks and body responses to the information that his brain has decided to give him. And I noticed the same thing in my daughter. So it it very much when you're recovering from trauma, it's definitely not a straight line by any stretch of the imagination. I think a roller coaster is much more appropriate and a roller coaster with loops and (laughs) big ups and downs, turning backwards, whatever it is that that's closer to the realistic, what it looks like for healing than just a straight line. He is working through things and I'm so proud of him for the hard work that he's putting in and trying to get that message to him in a place where he will actually listen and be able to recognize it for what it is and appreciate it and move forward with that as well. My daughter, unfortunately, is a little bit different situation. She is so stuck in her trauma and it's been really hard. She has a lot of bad coping mechanisms and coping patterns that she's struggling to even see as a coping pattern and a coping mechanism, much less try and get out of them and change them. She's been, even in the time since I started posting episodes on the podcast, she's been re-victimized so many times. Her personal safety is not even a consideration for her. She genuinely doesn't stop to think about that in any moment of the day. I really don't think she's capable of that. And the interesting thing is I've had so much testing done on her in terms of we had um, what's called an NMT um, test done on her. And at some point I'm going to do an episode on that so we can go through that with you guys and sort of explain what that is. But it's really where they break down the different components of the brain and where they're functioning versus someone at her age range. So obviously, you know, if you were doing an NMT assessment on a on a 10-year-old, their brain functions at a very different level than an adult or even a 16-year-old. And a 16-year-old functions differently than a 10-year-old. My daughter, when we had the NMT assessment done, her brain functions in many ways closer to a toddler and a young toddler at that. And it makes it really difficult to teach her things and get her to see things because you you can't explain certain things to a two-year-old and expect them to grasp those concepts. She doesn't recognize time, for example, the same way that someone her age should be able to and the same way that an adult would be able to. She, For her, you know, that long time is a couple of days. So when she's been doing something for just a couple of days, from her perspective, she's been doing it for a really long time and she's really gotten better. And it's really hard too when she's in whatever's going on with her, any form of a trauma response to recognize that it's not going to be that way forever. But for her, any length of time is long when she's in that. And I recognize that for a lot of us, it can be that way as well. That, But we can also stop and, you know, as older people, uh, be able to say, okay, 30 minutes, that might feel like forever, but it's 30 minutes and I can get through it or an hour or a couple of days, whatever it is. But it's like, we can recognize that and 
She's just not at a capability where she can do that right now. And unfortunately, because of the fact that she had so many men in her life at such a young age, I think the difference, I haven't spoken to my kids about this because it's really hard to speak to them about what they went through at a lot of times. Most of the time it's difficult. So I have to really be careful of what I say in general, but also have to be careful of when I bring up topics to them. But if I had to guess, my guess, honestly, is that my son was abused by his dad when he was younger. And it was probably more his dad, mostly his dad, just his dad. And by the time that my daughter came around seven years later, eight years later, he was in it. He was in it with all these other people. And all those other people had access to my daughter. And so she just doesn't have any concept of what healthy love is, what healthy love is between a parent and a child, what healthy love is between a partner and, you know, between two partners, what healthy love is between anybody. And she's hunting for the inappropriate love that she's experienced and trying to get her to, hey, I just need you to stop this. And I need you to really just sit with this and wait until you can figure out what these healthy relationships are before you try and go and explore them and create them and have them. That's just something that's extremely difficult for her as well, because she was experiencing physical affection for many years early in her life. And now it's almost a you know craving and addiction. But it's also natural for, I think, most of us to want some form of physical contact and to go without it for a long time is not healthy either. So it's trying to find that healthy contact versus what she's looking for. And it's just been really, really interesting and done some more research and found some more information, which I'm going to try and just give to you guys in pieces as opposed to this really long post. So I'm just going to touch on some things today and then dive deeper into a lot of it later on. But the histrionics that we sometimes see people do is actually not unusual, especially in children that have been abused and in children that have been sexually abused. And my daughter has histrionics a lot of the time to the point where I finally got to tell her, you know, I finally had to tell her and thank God she recognizes it and listens to it. Don't chicken little. And that's my code word for her of you have to take this step back and can't come at me the way you're coming at me. The world is not ending. Just take a minute. Don't chicken little. Come tell me what's going on and let me listen so I can hear what you have to say and then we can work it out. And thankfully, like I said, that's been able to make a little bit of a difference with her. And she's been able to really take stock of that and listen to that. She has also struggled in school. She continues to struggle. She's really an amazing kid. So she makes friends really well, but she's really bad at coping with anything and at continuing healthy relationships. So keeping those friends is another story. And drama and drama and drama and drama. And quite honestly, I'm sure that anybody out there who has teenage kids who are even neurotypical know that you can have a kid that has some drama when they reach a teenager year. They're in that stage of trying to establish their independence, but they're also having wild emotions, feelings and and whatnot, and trying to figure the world out. And so it's really difficult. And especially I can't even imagine in this day and age with social media and all the other aspects of it, adding that to the mix, it is probably incredibly difficult for any teenager to handle life. But when you have teenagers that have gone through trauma and abuse and sexual abuse, it adds a layer that can make interacting with peers 
extremely difficult. And so she's had a lot of drama with her friends, a lot of friends that are not staying friends. And unfortunately, that's actually part of another issue that she has, which is as a toddler, you know, toddlers don't have object permanence. They don't recognize that when something's out of their purview, out of their vision, that it still exists. So they don't pay attention to it. They pay attention to what's there. And as they get older, they recognize, oh, wait, you are around when I can't see you. My daughter is very much that way with life and still. So it's very easy for her to move to the next friend or the next relationship. Plus, she's had so many people leave her life and not be in her life and not stay that that idea of a long-term relationship, anything is not there in her mind. It's easy, like I said, for her to move on to the next person, move on to the next friend, move on to the next relationship, move whatever. So she's not hunting for the relationship. She's just hunting for the feeling and making herself feel better. And obviously that's extremely unhealthy. And we're doing our best to deal with that. She also has issues with just taking responsibility, you know, for her actions and her behaviors. She has issues with essentially trying to feel her pain. Right now she's doing everything she can to run around and stop being in pain instead of just sitting in it and working through it. And that's something that I'm sure is difficult for most kids that have gone through this. They're acting out. They're trying to find ways to feel better. And sometimes feeling better isn't possible. It's not that you don't want them to feel better, but it's that, hey, you got to walk through this pain and it's going to be a while and you're going to come out the other side and not feel it then it's going to be better. You're going to have basically put it in a more appropriate place, looked at it better, figured it out and moved on from it. And I, you know, I think the important thing is to just try and remember with kids that it's not about the thoughts. It's not about remembering what they went through, but it is about trying to process what their body's feeling and what their brain's feeling and get through that part of it. But again, you know, every kid is different and my daughter is definitely struggling with that part of it. In the last year, we just had, she's had many, you know, several different suicide attempts. I think most of those have been because of trying to get the attention that she wanted and not really intentionally trying to actually end her life. But there was one time in particular where she did, she made a very good faith effort and it was really hard and she had to go to the hospital. And I think the most difficult thing as a parent that you can ever, ever do is have to come to grips with the thought that your daughter or your son, whomever, your child could commit suicide and there's literally nothing you can do about it. That you have to be certainly not comfortable, but resigned to that fact that they're, if they don't want to be here, they don't want to be here. And if it's truly that they're suicidal, there's not much that I can do to prevent that except give them the love and support that I can give them and help them in what ways I can help them to work through this. But people that are really genuinely suicidal and don't want to be here will find a way. And that's the hardest thing to recognize. Thankfully, I think the last time that she did it, it really, really scared her. And hopefully that's not going to happen again. She just recently, actually this weekend, informed me that a friend of hers had actually committed suicide somebody who was going through some other mental health issues. And I don't know that friend's story well enough to even remotely speak on it, but that was really hard for her to hear. Thankfully at that moment, she was saying that she didn't want to do 
you know, now she's referring to, you know, committing suicide is don't do anything stupid. So hopefully she's starting to learn from that and can also see that when you do that, you impact other people that are left behind. So she's struggling with that now and trying to work through it. But that's been really hard as well. And then on top of it, basically, I just have had a situation where <laughs> where I can't keep my brain straight. So let's talk about that since I can't find this notebook that I've just set down somewhere. I don't know about anybody else, but the brain fog is real. Trying to keep track of my thoughts is real. It's more than just you walk in the kitchen and you can't remember what you're going to get, you know, what you came in there to get. It's so much more and trying to keep track of everything. And then on top of it to have, you know, however your kids are taking the pandemic added on top of everything else, I would just say, do your best to be kind to yourself and recognize, you know, do the things that you can do to help support yourself, whether that's taking notes. I'm such a note taker. I love to have lists of things that I need to do to try and remind me. And so I can remember because if I do not make a list, there's no way in hell that I'm going to remember everything that I'm supposed to do that day or everything that is supposed to just be on the list. And a lot of times that means that I didn't make the appointment for my kid that I needed to make or that I didn't do something important. So definitely, definitely struggling with the brain fog right now, struggling with the fatigue and the exhaustion of being just here and having to deal with all of the business of what's going on with my kids and their healing. And so I would also say to, you know, at some point we're going to have a, an episode on caregiver fatigue and also on secondary trauma. And I would encourage you all that if you're in it to take a look at those and listen to those when they come out, because it's just really important for self-care and you have to find a way to step away and take care of yourself in the little ways. And let's see if we can figure that out, what those little ways could be, whether it's, I need you to go have 30 minutes of quiet time in your room a couple times a day, or I'm going to go into my room and spend an hour and you aren't allowed to knock on my door unless there's a like a huge emergency, life or death, whatever type thing. You need to give me this hour. And that does a couple things that helps you with self-care, but equally important, it helps to start establish boundaries that are appropriate and children that have been sexually abused can struggle with those boundaries. So I've had to do that with my own kids. And even with my daughter, I travel for work. And so I've had to tell her like text before you call when it comes to working, because I don't know what I'm going to be doing. And so she's, that's very hard for her. There are so many times when she immediately calls right away and trying to get that across to her. Like, you can't call me. I need you to text me so I can tell you if I can even talk on the phone or not. And if I can't right then, then I will call you back as soon as I'm able to. So yeah, I think that that's good. But again, we'll get more into that another time, a different episode. But just for me, I think I first started this podcast, obviously, to help everybody else out there, the parents that are going through it. And, you know, maybe you're not a parent, maybe you're a grandparent or a caregiver or whatever. But, you know, if you're going through it and you've got a kid that's just completely melting down and you don't know what to do to try and figure out if there's a way that we can all help each other work through that. It's not just about I want to obviously be able to get information out there about the legal system and what does that look like? And what does the mental health system look like? And then what is particular therapies? But then equally important is in those moments, you know, your children see a therapist, depending on what they're doing and how long it might only be, even if it's an IOP, which is an intensive outpatient program, you're talking about, you know, nine, 10 hours a week, you're handling them the rest of the time. And I think that that's 
difficult. It's still difficult for me. There are times when my kid does things and where she's being manipulative or maybe she's not being manipulative and I can't tell. And I don't know how to handle a situation where it's like, obviously, if your child's being manipulative, you're going to handle it way different than if they're super honestly struggling and it just looks like manipulation. And sometimes those do look the same. And so I'm still on the hunt for that information. And how do I, as a parent, parent my child that is no longer neurotypical in any way? When many years ago, I had my kids tested and they were put on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum, but it was called PDD. So it was um, unidentified, PDD NOS, and they couldn't specify what exactly was going on with them. Now it looks like perhaps most of that was trauma, but the reality, and maybe all of it was, but the reality is we'll never know if they would have been diagnosed on the spectrum without the trauma. And it actually doesn't matter at this point because how we parent them and support them is so much different than your neurotypical children. You can't parent them the same. So just trying to find those answers. For me, because of the things that my children have gone through, it's very difficult for me to even work. I work in the film industry and I travel for work and I'm gone for an extended period of time whenever I go to work. Anywhere from six weeks would be a minimum to six months potentially and had not worked for a long, long time, once, honestly, my daughter started really exhibiting some mental health issues, she got to a point where she went into a facility and she had to come out because they couldn't help her. And that was a point where I stopped working. That was like December of 2019. And then she had a full-blown, essentially, really mental health breakdown when the pandemic started because she couldn't go to school and she couldn't see her friends. And for her, the socialization is so important. She's really struggled with that. I just... It's hard to get past that she's struggling and she's having these negative behaviors. And on top of that, they each have DID, uh, which we've already discussed. But, you know, at this point, my son has over 150 alters that have come out, probably closer to 200, to be quite honest, because there's a group that he and I are both aware of that haven't surfaced, that we know are there, that he's able to talk about. But so, yeah, my daughter's had over 80 surface to date. And unfortunately, most of those alters are under the age of 10 for both of them. So, you know, in the grand scheme of things, when you're talking about can a 24-year-old, 25-year-old and a 16-year-old take care of themselves for the most part? The answer should be yes. For a neurotypical and even for someone who's struggling a little bit, they should be able to for the most part. But then when you're talking about, you know, someone who gets triggered and stressed and whatever and changes personalities, then, you know, can a three-year-old take care of themselves? Absolutely not. Can a 10-year-old? No. Can anybody in between there take care of themselves? And, And obviously the answer is no. And trying to get that point across to an insurance company is extremely difficult. In the state of Arizona, which is all I can speak of because that's where I live, so feel free, please, please, to tell me your story and let me know what it's like in your state. I think that probably, honestly, most states, you will have difficulty in a lot of ways when it comes to mental health care for your children suffering sexual abuse, but I don't know all the particulars. But in Arizona, it's considered mental health. And so mental health does not get access to a lot of the benefits that developmental health issues get. So you don't have access to someone that could potentially come and help them make meals or clean the house or um, whatever. You can't have that 
just the, the like a CNA, a certified nursing assistant that would come in and help with certain small things. Um, they don't have access to that. And trying to get my daughter into any type of an out-of-home placement has been an absolute nightmare. She's still at home with me. And don't get me wrong, I struggle with that so tremendously of how of I want her with me. I want my son with me because they're genuinely scared to be with other people and understandably so. But I also am capable of recognizing that the environment that they need, which is extremely structured, is not conducive when it's me by myself taking care of two children that aren't doing well. And then you're adding to this mix the fact that my son has a friend who also has some issues that's been staying with us. And that makes that difficult as well. So there's, you know, their triggers are different. Their responses are different. And trying to have any form of structure is when it's just me is is impossible. So recognizing that the best environment for them is a place where that can happen is what I've been trying to get across to the insurance company. And of course, for them, we're just a number. And and I don't think they really give a shit, quite frankly. I don't think they care. We've worked with two different organizations, and I want to say their names because I'm honestly not been happy with either of their services. There's a thing that's called a high needs case manager. And that's when you have a company that provides essentially what should be care coordination. It's available for children who are needing mental health support. And so we had JFCS, and that was Jewish Family and Children Services. Previously, they were good at the very, very beginning. At the very beginning, when I said, this is what's happening, blah, 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 whatever, they did really well. And we had a therapist and a high needs case manager. And at some point, I don't really know what happened, but all of a sudden, the therapist was expecting my daughter to do homework every week and not telling me what homework she needed to do so that I wasn't keeping it, you know, I have no idea that she's been told to do something over the week. And that was kind of thrown in my face in a meeting of, you know, she was supposed to be doing this homework and she's not doing anything. Okay, well, she's only 16 part of the time, first of all. And she has a lot going on. Like you as a therapist should know that. So you should be giving me that information. And from her perspective, it was, well, she's 16. She should be able to do that on her own. But again, she's not 16 all the time because she has DID. And even if she doesn't, because there's been argument about whether or not she officially has DID, I've had, I don't know that what that therapist thought because she never told me. I've had a different therapist since then say she doesn't have DID, but she has what's called PTSD with dissociative tendencies. And then the current therapist that she's seeing says, no, she has DID. And I agree. And I agree, honestly, with the fact that she has DID because I have my son who has been diagnosed with DID living in my home. I can kind of see them pretty much consistently. So does that mean that that there aren't times when my daughter is manipulating the situation because she knows she has this thing going on and that maybe she's not utilizing it to her advantage? I don't I, I believe she probably is. I, I don't disagree with that, but that doesn't change the fact you can have some a health issue, but then also play it up to get better attention or more attention. And if ever there was a person that would do that, my daughter is one of those people. So I don't think that she doesn't have it, but I do think that she will oftentimes play it up. But back to what I was saying, her therapist wasn't just all of a sudden they were treating her like she was a teenager with a behavioral issue instead of a teenager who's been through really serious whatever. And at one point, they actually reported me for CPS for a particular incident. The CPS lady was someone that I had dealt with before. CPS has been in my life many, many times because of what's been going on with my kiddos. She came out and I said, I 
And I flat out told her, this is what happened. Like, this is, this is exactly everything that happened. She was like, oh, well, that's not what they were making out to be. Okay. And I said, okay, well, here's the, the thing. I'm really upset with them because at that particular moment, we had just had what's called a CFT meeting. And that's a child family team meeting where you and your high needs case manager and potentially your therapist and anybody else that you feel is important to your child's mental health team gets into a meeting and they discuss like, what is it that we're going to do moving forward? What services are we going to provide? What are we going to do? And at that point in that meeting, you know, the high needs case manager said, well, what can we do? What do we need to do for her? And I said, okay, well, tell us what's available, what choices and what services are available. And she said, well, I can't give you that information. You have to tell me what you need. And then I can tell you what we can do to help with that. Well, I don't know about anybody else out there, but I can't pull stuff out of my back end. If I have no idea what's going on, what is even available, how would I even know what to suggest? How would I know whether or not I think that might work or that might be a good idea to try? I have no idea. And she was giving nothing and refused to give anything for that. And at this point, I really think she just wanted to, I don't even know, probably wanted us to leave the agency. And it was bad enough. Honestly, the CPS person called and spoke with her, the high needs case manager and contacted me back and said, I spoke with her and I even spoke with my supervisor. And the best advice that I can give you is that you need to find a different agency to go to. So when CPS is recommending that you don't go to the agency that you're at for the care of your child, you pretty much listen to what they have to say. Plus, I I wasn't happy anyways. So at that point, we switched to a new company called Arizona's Children's Association. And again, I thought they were good. I thought they were doing really well. And here's the problem. The problem is that when you go into somewhere and you're going into where you think the experts are, and it's these experts that are giving you advice about, you know, even if they're only an expert in the services that are allowed to be provided to your child, maybe they're not an expert in what those services are. That's okay. But if they should be, if they're a high needs case manager and they're in charge of care coordination, they should have an idea of what that care could be. And that's what the assumption that I went into this thinking, they know what's available and I'm going to ask them for what I can do. And they gave some ideas and I would ask questions about different things. I'll give you a perfect example. At one point, I was trying to get my daughter into group home and um, I said, you know, is there some form of training that I can go through so that once she goes, you know, she goes to this group home, it's a 30 to 45 day stay, and then she's going to come back here. And I just want to know what can I do as a parent? What kind of training can I take? Are there classes available so that I can be prepared for when she comes home and I can support her in whatever she's learning there? And the response back was, there's nothing like that. And thank God I just know other people in the mental health industry. And even then I wasn't speaking to them in terms of complaining about this other organization. What I was doing was venting that there wasn't anything available. I can't believe there's nothing available. And I have a friend who's in the industry who just was like, what are you? That's ridiculous. And within five minutes, she had pulled up classes for parents can take the classes to help with their children. And there's actually other resources out there, which hopefully I will get into with everybody. Some of those are like paid. You have to go pay to take the classes. But, you know, if you can do it, maybe it's something that even I have, again, I haven't looked into it yet and I want to, to get that out to you, but maybe it's something where victims um, compensation fund. I'm going to have a whole other 
episode on that just to kind of go over that. But just so that you know, I've had experiences with that. I'm so unhappy with what that is. And I know other people have had some positive experiences. So it seems to be just not just mine, but I seem to be one of the ones that's not had positive experiences. And I don't know if that's that my expectations are unrealistic or if it's the state of Arizona's rules or where that comes from. I feel like it's the state of Arizona rather than the programs themselves. Anyways, back to this situation with Arizona's Children's Association. I thought that everything was okay. And I, again, left with the impression that they knew what they were talking about, but I was also sending emails regularly. I'm really concerned. This is what happened with my daughter today. This is what my daughter did just last you know, night. This is what my daughter is doing right now. These are the behaviors that she's doing. And I'm really concerned. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And just wasn't getting anything. It was literally like, let's have a CFT meeting and see what everybody has to say. And at no point did the care coordinator talk about any form of care that could be given. It was all left up to me and who knows nothing and the care providers, the current care providers to suggest. I finally at some point came up with, uh, I think it was the provider manual that actually goes to the providers, not to the participants, but to the providers through the insurance company, which by the way is Mercy Care. And I want that stated because I cannot express how unhappy I am with Mercy Care, with Arizona's Children's, with Mercy Care, with the way that Jewish Family Children's Services handled the case. And honestly, with Access, which is the Arizona state-funded insurance, I'm unhappy with all of them. And I want that to be plainly stated. Uh, And trust me, I've made that abundantly clear to several people, to them, to anybody that will listen, really. So, And I want it to be stated because there should be changes made. So anyways, they even with all these concerns, nothing was changed. At some point, I even filed a grievance with Mercy Care. And because I didn't use the exact words, I'm unhappy with your services, they said, well, they haven't done anything wrong. And that's the other problem that I have is that the grievance policy, the grievance uh, procedures are so for the mercy care and for the providers of the care. They're not for the people that are saying, Hey, I need help. It's really difficult to get changes made. I was so distraught and upset with everything that was going on. I wrote to Senator Mark Kelly and I expressed, this is what's happening and I need some help. And can you please help me? And I have to be honest. I didn't hear anything from Senator Mark Kelly or his people, except until the time that it was getting close to his time for re-election and, you know, now the campaign, whatever. And of course, then I got a letter from his people saying, you know, it's been great, all the things that he's done and hope you'll vote for him and whatever. And I have no idea if I'm going to vote for Mark Kelly or not, because in my opinion, Mark Kelly isn't doing shit for me. So... If he can't even reach out, even with his people, some form of a form letter of like, we're so sorry you're going through this. There's not much we can do. Thank you for reaching out. Here's some resources. Whatever it is, like at least it's it's somebody reaching out to me and saying, I acknowledge what you're going through and there's nothing I can do to help it. But uh, we heard you. We read your letter. You're a constituent of ours and you're important to us and whatever. But that's not what happened. So I'm not really sure, you know, and I'm not going to say that that's Senator Mark Kelly directly because I'm sure he doesn't get to see all of his emails. I'm sure he doesn't get to check them. I'm sure he has somebody that does that for him. But whoever it was really dropped the ball when it came to mine. And and I think that that's important when you have someone who's expressing the amount of trauma that my children went through. And quite frankly, a huge majority of that trauma was actually done to them in Arizona, in the state of Arizona. So that that I, I just genuinely feel that 
so many of the people in Arizona that should be saying, whoa, I can't believe this is going on in our state are literally turning a blind eye to it. And that's rough to be living in that state, knowing that that went on. And quite honestly, that this wasn't just my husband that did something to my children. What people need to recognize is that this was a huge organized ring. I don't know how many people were in it, but I know there were more than just my kids in it. There were more people and more than just my kids. And the fact that no one's even bothering to really take the time to look into that is disheartening and terrifying because whoever else's kids were involved are probably in just as bad shape as mine. There's other victims here and no one's bothering to take a look at that. When my kids went and and gave interviews to the detectives at the Victim Advocacy Center, the detective came afterwards and said, I, I believe that your children are telling the truth. I believe that they're being honest. Um, and then the only thing that they did was contact my ex, who was in jail, by the way, for online child pornography, and ask him if he did it. And he said, no, absolutely not. Which, why would he say anything else? And that was it. And they sent that information to the DA's office, and the DA declined to prosecute, which... As frustrated as I am with that, I do understand it. A, they don't want to go after someone when they aren't guaranteed for a conviction. And B, um, they definitely don't want to go after someone if there's a possibility that later on more information could come forward and then they could get the conviction, you know? So I get where that's coming from, but I'm not really sure what the detectives, like why they didn't do more. I'm not really sure why the fact that he was arrested for child pornography wouldn't have been something that would have been taken into consideration. And maybe it was, but if you had someone who was having child pornography arrested for that, and then their kids come forward and say, well, they did things like there's a pattern. I don't know. And I had to tell them, I told them that, you know, during his divorce to the wife that he divorced prior to me, there was an accusation of him doing something with her niece or cousin. I can't remember which. Um, but, you know, it was like that it's all documented in the divorce paperwork. This lady made this accusation. And, and the detective's response to me was, well, what's that niece's contact information? What? Isn't that your job? Go find that out. Why do I have to give you that information for it to be considered? I could totally give you the divorce case number. Surprisingly, I still have that memorized. I can give you that number and you can go research it yourself. But why do I have to be the responsible one to go find that information out? That's the kind of crap that's, I genuinely don't understand it. And in all fairness and honesty, I didn't ask a lot of questions because at that time, my kids were drowning and I needed to go save them and not focus on this crap. I'm just getting to a point where I'm going to start focusing on that more starting to slowly try and put things together in a way that allows me to balance everything a little bit better. Um, it's been a little bit difficult. I've actually had to go back to work. I didn't uh, really want to for my children's sake. Obviously, I want. I love my job. I love what I do. It's an opportunity for me to get away from one situation and try and have that adult interaction and, you know, fulfill myself and other aspects of my life. Um, and I think that's important to all of us, but it's also really, really difficult because like I said, I have to travel for my job. And for those of you who might be saying, well, just get a different job, I am not capable of doing that. And the reason why is because the job that I do allows me 
to be able to take care of my whole household in the situation that we're in, where I'm the only person, the only breadwinner in my home. And I can do that with the job that I do. It still is not completely easy, but it's something that I can do and work towards. And if I were to get another job, um, I would not be able to get paid what I get paid. And I would not be able to survive in the circumstances that I'm in, in a different position, doing something different. Um, so yes, it's great that I love my job and that I'm able to do all this, but walking away, you know, going and doing my job every day here being a thousand miles away from my children is hard in a lot of ways because I don't know what's going on with them, what's going to happen to them. I mean, a couple perfect examples, my daughter, I was on a job a while back and at that point I had to take that job. I literally had an eviction notice and a repo notice that I was going to have to, you know, I was either going to lose my house and my car or I was going to go back to work. So obviously I chose to go back to work. And while I was out on this job, my daughter texted me and the text um, conversation started really nice. You know, Hey mom, I had therapy. I went for my whole appointment because she struggles with that sometimes, especially when the therapy appointments are telehealth. It's easy for her to disengage. And if a topic comes up that's uncomfortable, it's easier for her to say, I don't feel well. I need to get off the phone or I need to get off the computer or whatever. You know, I need to stop this appointment. So that's good for her to go the whole time. That's really good that she said that. And so, you know, I text her back. Well, good job. I think that's great. And then the very next line was, by the way, my therapist wanted me to tell you, said that I needed to tell you that, you know, the other day, so it wasn't just last night, it was several days before. The other day I went out in the middle of the night for a walk and I came across three men and they assaulted me. And those are the kinds of conversations that I have with my child. And the really incredibly terrifying part is that for her, that is just a regular conversation. She's not capable of recognizing how horribly awful that is. And now, you know, the other part of that is I I had to say, you know, are you sure that that's what, like, that that's all that happened, that that's what happened, that whatever, you know, it came out that she'd gone on a walk. She met three guys who were dressed all in black. They didn't say anything and they assaulted her. And at that point, you're, you're very much like asking questions. What do you mean? They didn't say anything. How could they do that to you without saying anything? Like, how could you not? And I didn't, and then she's getting emotionally upset and she doesn't want to talk about it anymore. And so I honestly didn't get answers out of her. And and I have to say at that point, I was like, I'm not really sure that that's what happened. Not that I necessarily doubt that anything happened. I don't, I didn't think in that moment that nothing happened, but I wasn't sure that it happened exactly the way that she was saying it did. So it can be really hard at times to believe when things can be so crazy. And I get that part of it. But what I would like to say is believe. And I will carry that forward too. I don't even know how long afterwards, probably a month later, I was on a social media app for neighborhoods. And um, at that time, somebody had posted um, in our housing development area that they had just seen two dudes jump over a fence dressed all in black with a gun or guns or whatever. I don't know. And at that moment, my heart stopped and was horrified all over again. And it became very abundantly clear to me that while, again, I didn't have all of the circumstances and I didn't know exactly what happened, that it probably happened much closer to what she was saying than not. And that's hard. And the other issue is that 
She tries to reconnect with people that are abusive to her because from her perspective, she doesn't know that they treated her bad or she comes at it from this part of the little kids, you know, little kids will fight and argue and get into arguments and it's and the next day they're best friends again. And I think that's amazingly wonderful for kids to do that understand forgiveness. They just give it all the time. They don't, they don't have any concept of holding grudges. That's not the way their brain works, but they also don't have any concept of saying, um, you're a bad person and I need to stop hanging out with you. And that's where my daughter is. She doesn't have that concept. She doesn't understand that. So when someone's nice to her, even after they've been extremely shitty to her for a very long period of time, it's very easy for her to be like, well, they're my friend, but they're my friend. Okay. Well, they haven't been mean to me in a very long time. And again, going back to that very long time might be, well, okay, you're talking about two days or three days or a week. We had a situation where she was friends with someone who really got abusive with her. If they, if she didn't do what they liked, she would get this friend of of hers would just get on her. And I knew it wasn't a good situation, but I was trying to figure out how can I extract her from this situation and get her to listen to me Um, right about the time that I was thinking about that. She had the friend over for a sleepover and it was probably, I don't know, 530 in the morning and I hear this mom, but it was like a blood curdling mom and it's the kind of scream you never want to hear from your children. And so I went running out of my room and she was at the dining room table and she said, she pushed me, she pushed me. And even then I wasn't like pissed. I was just, okay, we have to diffuse the situation and um, I essentially tried to get between my daughter and this girl. And I said, essentially, like, did you call your mom? Like, you need to call your mom and you need to go home. That's it. You need to leave. And it turned out that it was over a boy. Um, This argument started over a boy. And my daughter happened to be on the phone with this boy. Now, I get it. That's like such an unwise choice when you're having this argument to just go call the boy. But she didn't you know, again, her brain doesn't function that way. And she doesn't recognize that that's not appropriate from her perspective. She needed someone to help her through this horrible situation that was happening. And that's who she called. And so I heard her talking and I thought she was talking to me. And I looked over and she's like, no, I'm on the phone. And I said, well, who are you on the phone with? And she said the boy's name. And I was like, you need to get off the phone. And that was it. This girl was like, that's right. You need to get off the phone. And she tried to get by me. And at one point she shoved me out of the way and went to my daughter. And at that point I didn't run to take her off of her because I didn't expect that she would get physical with her at all. So she yelled in her face once and then she started pounding on my kid. And that was it. And thank God this kid, this kid was 18 and my kid was only 16. So that made a difference too. But thank God that she was 18 because I was able to pull her off. I don't know, maybe legally I would have been able to pull her off at that point since she hit first, but I had to pull her off. I had to punch her as hard as I could in the face several times. This kid is a big kid, by the way. And all I kept thinking was, oh my God, please don't let her hit me because I have no idea where it's going to go if that happens. Please don't let her hit me. And I didn't. I pounded on her and I took her to the ground and then I was holding her and she bit me. Oh, and it was horrible. Thankfully, she didn't break the skin, but it definitely was rough. And, um, and I had to deal with that physically with her and get her to stop biting me. My son came out and was horrified at the situation, had to go call the police. The cops had to come. She was arrested for assaulting us. Um, but then the reality is at that point, we haven't heard anything. We heard that she was going to be arraigned. And my understanding is we didn't need to go down there for that. Like that's just a bond, a, you know, issue, whether or not she gets a bond and she was let on on her own recognizance. And I, that's not, Surprising. I understand that. And then 
she had a plea hearing. And even then, it was my understanding that we didn't have to go to that because that's her pleading guilty or not guilty. So it's like, okay, well, at that point, like what happens? Well, then nothing happened since then. She's she's out. She's doing whatever. And my daughter's communicating with her again. And I don't know how to stop that. Like, here's the deal. I can take away my kid's phone. I can take away her ability to communicate on social media this time. But you would be surprised how many friends are like, hey, I got a new phone. Why don't you take my old phone? Because she puts it out as I can't have a phone because we can't afford it. My mom can't afford to get a phone. And kids are, I think that's incredibly nice that you as a child are trying to help your other friend out. I don't, it's my old phone. It might not work that great. It might not look that pretty, whatever, but hey, here you go. And eventually that, if I keep taking a phone away from her, that's what's going to happen. And then I'm not going to know because she's going to hide it. And I'm not going to know that she's communicating with people. And I'm not going to be able to keep any form of an eye on it at all. And I think even now it's incredibly difficult to know what's going on with her because you have all these social media platforms that have disappearing conversations. So that's so incredibly difficult because your children can disappear and you will never know where they are because they're having conversations with people that you don't know and you can't read those conversations. And I don't know what the answer is. I understand everybody wants to keep their privacy, but there should be some way in between where kids should be protected and these people that do these things should not. And I don't know what the answer is, but that's what I'm dealing with is that I know. And not only that, I recently read a post. She talked about running away. I read another post. She talked about uh, moving out of the house. Like these are things that are going on with her. And I bring them up to her without really expressing where I got them from. But I think she has an idea because she'll go and make conversations disappear, put them on, you know, so that they don't stay. And then it makes it that much harder. And she talks about, no, I don't feel that way. I'm fine. It's fine. And what do you do? And again, back to I've I've tried for out-of-home placement and the most ridiculous crap comes back from Mercy Care with you should do this, this, and this. And they're all things that either we're trying right now or we tried in the last year or six months or whatever. And the problem is insurance company only looks at the last 90 days. So if you haven't done it in the last 90 days, they don't count it as being done, which is ridiculous because if you've done it in the last year or two years even, and it didn't work then, it's probably not going to work now. And not only that, when you're talking about my kid is being repeatedly violated in my home and I'm asking for someone to take care of her that can monitor her better than I can. First of all, that's an incredibly difficult statement to make as a parent. I can't keep my kid as safe as she needs to be kept. I love her. I want her safe. I want her taken care of. And I'm only one person and I can't be awake 24-7 to keep her safe the way she needs to be. I need to have her in an environment that can do that. That's an incredibly difficult statement for any parent to stand up and say, especially, quite frankly, in our society today where everyone wants to blame the parents for what's going on with the kids. Incredibly difficult. And I've stood up and said it multiple times only to have Mercy Care come back and say, she doesn't really need that much supervision. Regardless of the fact that I've walked out and caught her climbing into an Uber going God knows where, I had no idea because the neighbor paid for it. And if I didn't walk out of my home at that exact moment, she would have been gone. And while there's a possibility that she could have come back and everything would have been fine, there's also an equal possibility that I could have never seen her again. Regardless of that fact, regardless of the fact that there was a boy that was climbing in her window repeatedly and having sex with her while she was sleeping, 
regardless of the fact that she's left my home in the middle of the night without saying anything to anybody and got assaulted, regardless of the fact that all that's happening, Mercy Care said she doesn't need to be supervised that frequently. And they suggested things like trauma-based therapy, which by the way, she's been in for years. They suggested a survivor mentor, which she had. They suggested a program called Meet Me Where I'm At, which is essentially behavioral coaching. So when you have a behavior, the coach comes in and says, what if we tried it this way? Blah, 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 whatever. She did that. Her behaviors come from trauma. They don't come from her having an attitude or not knowing better or needing to have, you know, sure, they come from needing to have strong boundaries all the time, but it's not the same. It's not the same. And behavioral coaching didn't work. This latest time they said all those things, they also said she should have a high needs case manager when quite frankly, Arizona's Children's Association is the one who submitted the paperwork. The high needs case manager submitted the paperwork to Mercy Care who came back and said, you really need a high needs case manager. What the hell? And Arizona's Children's is, I struggle with them greatly. They're starting to do a little bit better now because I've been such a thorn in their side. But I think it's really horrible that you as a parent have to be a thorn in someone's side to get them to do their job. And I literally had the high needs case manager say to me, maybe you could move back to this state so you could keep them there while you're working. I'm sorry. You don't get to tell me where I live. You get to help me in the situation that I'm in while I'm living here. That's your job. Not to tell me where I need to move. So much more goes into someone moving to a different place than just the thought and, oh, boom, it's done. So quite honestly, when anybody suggests, well, why don't don't you move there? That's the most ridiculous, ridiculous answer to any argument of, I like the way they do it here better. Well, why don't you move there? Mm, Well, why don't you give me the money to do that? And let's work through all of this stuff that I would need to work through to be able to do that. Like it's ridiculous. And again, back to the case in point that it's not your job to tell me that. So now we're trying to get her help. We sent her down to this program. That was supposed to be an assessment program and hoping that by doing this assessment program, then we would be able to give to the insurance company even more documentation showing, hey, she's really struggling. Well, guess what? That assessment program said, you know what? We can't help her because everything is related to trauma. All of her behaviors are related to trauma and we're not even going to do any form of an even shallow dive into helping her with her trauma because that's not responsible for us. She needs to be somewhere where she can go and work long term on the trauma that she's been through. And again, also keep in mind that when I work, I work out of town. So all of a sudden I can't take her to um, whatever appointments she might have. So let's say that I get up, you know, therapeutic appointments for her. When I'm not there, I can't take her. And the other problem with Mercy Care is that they do have transportation. They have transportation for people who can't afford it for medical transport when you're on access. But each individual company like Mercy Care and there's another like United Healthcare has a, has a version, whatever. And each individual company has someone that they contract with. And the people that Mercy Care contracts with are completely unreliable. So I could send my kid set it all up, get my kids sent to therapy or whatever it is, whatever appointment it is, and then cross my fingers that they actually get picked up. And what would the trauma be that my child would go through if whoever was supposed to pick them up, whatever company didn't show, and I was out of town on a job, not able to follow up and pick them up myself. So it's horrible to me that Mercy Care doesn't keep better track, doesn't hold anybody accountable because nobody is. Mercy Care is not held accountable. I went and complained to three different state representatives 
And let me list their names because I think that's important. I complained to Joanne Osborne, Walter Blackman, and Leo Biasucci. And the gentleman I didn't hear anything from. Representative Osborne reached out to me and said, I'm really sorry that you're going through this. I can't help you. Let me refer you to someone who can. And unfortunately, the person that she referred me to was somebody at the actual access offices who's supposed to oversee. I don't remember the lady's title. I should have written it down. Um, But anyways, the whole entire point of that was that Mercy Care started a new grievance policy. They researched, again, not themselves. They just researched this company, Arizona's Children's. And because I didn't specifically say, I forwarded them every email where I said, I'm really concerned. What can we do? I'm really concerned. What can we do? This is bothering me. I don't know how safe my daughter is. What can we do? I sent every email where I said, we need to do more for my kid and that there was no response from them or the response was, I'm sorry, you're going through this. Or there's nothing we can do, basically. And that that wasn't the case. Regardless of the fact that that wasn't the case, they weren't held accountable for that. They weren't held accountable for not doing their jobs. And Mercy Care wasn't held accountable once they started looking into everything. Once they started looking into everything that was going on with my kids, this lady called me back and said, it looks like they're on top of it now. So we're going to go ahead and close this out. Now, again, to be very transparent and completely, you know, whatever, even with my part in this, I didn't reach back out to that lady and say, no, that's not acceptable. And part of that was, that was one of the times when both my daughter and my son were completely losing their shit, quite frankly. My son was having really, really bad trauma seizures at that point. My daughter was really not well in her mental health issues at that point. And I was struggling and drowning. And I didn't have an opportunity to reach out to her. And I think I did reach out to her. I think I sent her an email where I said, this is what's going on. And by the way, can you please email me? Like I can't email so much better than phone conversations. And the next time she contacted me was by the phone. And it was just to say, um, that was when she said, this is, you know, I'm going to close out of these. looks like everything was taken care of. Um, And when you have that kind of attitude, I don't know about anybody else, but it becomes so exhausting. It's exhausting to have to be repeatedly in a fight mode with everyone just to do their job. I get your job's hard. I'm not trying to claim that it's easy. I get that you are overworked and underpaid. I get that right now, probably, especially since the pandemic, the ratio of how many clients you're helping to how many clients you are capable of helping is off the charts. Yep, I get it. But it's still your job. And the other problem is none of you all are standing up and screaming about what's going on. None of you all are standing up and saying, this is all I'm taking, hire more people or tell them they can't come in. None of you guys. And if they are, it should be louder because nobody else is hearing it. We don't know that. We don't know. Hey, by the way, I'm going to let you know that I've got this many clients and I might not be able to give you everything I can that you need for what's going on with you. We should be allowed to make educated decisions for our kids. We should be allowed to know all the types of therapy that are available. We should be allowed to know 
the types of care that are available, what services are available. We should be able to know that. We should also be able to know that you are limited in what you can do. And I would say also too, that quite frankly, and it surprises me that it's not utilized more frequently, there's there's a reason for automated systems. You send in an email to somebody, there should be an automatic reply. I have received your email. You are heard. We have this going and it might take us 48 hours to get back in touch with you. If you need care or comments or something looked at quicker than that, here's a way to go about doing that. And so far, at least in Arizona, the organizations that I've come across don't do any of that. And that's not the individuals. Those are the organizations. And quite frankly, I came across two different lawsuits. There's two different lawsuits in the state of Arizona, one that was just recently settled in 2014 called the JK Settlement, and one that was settled... I think 2008, maybe even 2001. I don't know. It was quite a while ago. And that was for children. And essentially, both of those lawsuits were that Arizona was not providing enough when it came to mental health services. And the reality is they're still not. They're not doing their jobs. They're not following the settlements. Mercy Care is not following the settlement that it was given that it signed off on and agreed to when it came to the children's mental health services. They're not holding their contractors accountable for their services and for the job that they're doing. And they should be. It's ridiculous. And no one's holding Mercy Care accountable. So if there's no accountability, nothing's going to change. If there's no one saying, we're going to cut funding if you don't do this, we're going to, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure that that's the answer. Don't get me wrong. Cutting funding seems like a horrible idea. I just threw it out there in the sense of a consequence, not as a let's start there. It should be. We'll find a different service to contract with as the state of Arizona. We'll find a different company that we're going to do services with that can give, that can actually make sure that the people that they're contracting with are doing what they're supposed to be doing. There should be an oversight committee. Shouldn't be that difficult. And don't get me wrong. I recognize there's funding issues. I just said it, but more should be done. We should give a crap more about what's going on in everyone's life, quite honestly. And I don't mean that like we should be getting into their business. I mean, we should care if they're taken care of properly. We should care if healthcare is providing what they need to, if the insurance companies are providing what they need to. When the insurance companies deny reasonable care for some asinine reason, that isn't helping anybody. And quite honestly, there's a lot of people out there that have the attitude of it doesn't concern me. And if you think for one moment, if you truly believe for one moment that my children's suffering doesn't impact the rest of society, then you are wrong. And guess what? Everyone else's suffering impacts society too. It impacts society when we have adults that can't take care of themselves properly. And when we have children that are going to grow up to be adults that can't take care of themselves properly, that cannot be productive members of society because our systems are so broken. And then we want to blame them for the positions that they're in. It's ridiculous. Anyways, I'm getting off topic. I'm sorry. Let me get back to We'll have other episodes to complain about all that stuff. So yeah. So kind of talked a little bit about issues that I've been having with the insurance company, with legal system, and with just, you know, the issues of my children healing in general. So what's been going on with me, just to give you that, you know, take on the situation, it's obviously very difficult, I think, for us as parents to watch our children go through what they're going through, to watch them in pain watch them in their journey and know that there's just not much of a way to help them. At least not any way where, you know, you can take the pain away from them or make it 
them heal quicker. They have to work through everything on their own and you can certainly be there to support them in that, but you can't do the journey for them. And I think that's the most important thing that we have to help our children to understand. I'm sorry that you're going through this and I really would if I could, but I can't. And I'm here to help you in whatever way I can. For me, it's been just sort of eye-opening to see where our society is now and probably where it's been for such a long time and I just wasn't aware of it. But to know how often this happens and people turn a blind eye to it, and not only that, but in many ways support it, whether it's knowingly or unknowingly, it's just, it's not out there, you know, and that's exhausting. And so it's exhausting and frightening and it just leaves you with this feeling of helplessness. And I am dealing with my own, you know, mental health issues of secondary trauma, of my own depression. You know, I was talking to a friend the other day and we were just talking about how we're feeling now. And it's just this storm of emotions of feeling sad and angry and helpless and everything all at once. And you walk around feeling like you just want to come out of your skin and like you want to just do something. And there's just not much that can be done. And I personally feel a lot of times like nobody else is taking it as seriously as I am. It's not impacting them in the way it's impacting me. And so they're easygoing about it. Not that they aren't taking it seriously, not, but everything moves so slowly and that makes it hard too. And especially when you have people that are discounting you and not taking what you say as fact and they're looking at it as, well, you're mom and you must be overreacting a little bit. You know, I think that way too often we have people discounting what the parents are saying and people discounting what the children are saying. And I think that just is incredibly difficult on top of fighting whatever battles you're fighting to help them heal to also have to help for them to even be listened to. One battle that we seem to have made some headway on is the situation in Texas. If you recall, in the very first episode, I spoke about how my daughter went and stayed at my mom's house and how my mom was living with my aunt and my aunt's husband and my aunt's stepson. And that at some point, my mom went on vacation and the stepson did something to my daughter. And then nobody believed and everybody was really rude and obnoxious and not nice to us and in particular, not nice to my daughter. Although it was filtered through me. Nobody even spoke to my daughter, I don't think, once it happened. And I got her out of the house really quickly. And just to sort of recap that, when she came back to me, I took her to her psychiatrist and she told the psychiatrist what happened. The psychiatrist reported it to CPS. In the process of her reporting it, somewhere along the lines, the person that took the report um, didn't write everything down properly. So there wasn't really even a proper investigation done. Nobody ever contacted us for information. Nobody ever did whatever. And again, my family was just rude. And that was sort of the last straw that broke the camel's back. We don't speak to them anymore. For the most part, I speak to my brother now. He reached out to me at one point and we kind of had a conversation and he apologized. I speak to one aunt who wasn't really involved in it, but that's about it. And fast forward to this past summer and we get a call from the police and they've arrested the stepson on online pornography, child pornography. and. 
Even then, when they were investigating that, my aunt was still adamantly talking about how crazy, you know, how it was a lie. It didn't happen to my daughter, whatever. She was angry and adamant and refused to even acknowledge that perhaps maybe that could have happened. And at some point in their investigation of everything that was going on with the stepson with the computer, I don't exactly know what he said, but he essentially confessed to what he did to my daughter. They did an interview with her and pretty much enough corroborated with whatever he said and what she said that they arrested him for that as well. So he didn't just get arrested for online portion of it. He also got arrested for what he did to my daughter. He's sitting in jail somewhere. Dallas County hasn't moved forward with that. It's not that they're not going to, they're going to, it just, um, you know, I don't know what their caseload is or anything along those lines, you know? So all that happened, we didn't even get a call from my family to apologize. My mom sent what amounted to an index card, an apology on an index card. I'm sorry that I didn't listen to you. I hope someday you can forgive me. Love your grandmother to both me and my daughter. And my aunt sent a little bit of a longer note that was a little bit more of an explanation and I don't know, a little bit more of an apology. But at the end of the day, that wasn't really enough either, because I got to be honest with you. First of all, you know, she apologized for not listening, but the reality is she still hasn't listened. Nobody in my family has called my daughter to talk to her, to say I'm sorry in person to her, to hear her story, to hear what she had to say about not only what that boy did to her, but how it felt to have everyone in your family essentially tell you you're a liar. Nobody's listened to her. And then to say, I'm sorry, I didn't listen to you. He was a good liar. I might have more sympathy for that situation if my husband wasn't arrested however many years earlier, for the same exact thing, for child pornography. And out of the blue, you know, where it's like, I didn't know what was going on with him and I was married to him for how many years? They didn't have that type of relationship with this kid because this kid wasn't with them for very long. So it wasn't like, oh, I've known him since he was a little booty baby. It wasn't even like that. I've known him for the last few years. Whatever. Okay, great. Guess what? I knew my husband for how long? I was married to him, sleeping next to him for how long? And I didn't know. So how can you possibly know your stepson better than I knew my husband? How can you possibly not even take into consideration? And they were very aware of everything that had happened with my husband. I think I mentioned to you in that part of the podcast before the very first episode, that there was treatment of me as if I had some form of a disease that was catching and I caught it. And they were trying to sort of make amends for that and make up for that. But it's like in the worst way possible after the fact is discounting it and not recognizing, hey, you might not know any better than I did. Just from such a place of ego and superiority and just shittiness, quite frankly. And then honestly, What I found out at the moment at that time was that when the CPS case originally came through, and again, it was filed improperly. So the investigation was actually more against my brother and his wife, which was where we made up. I was able to call him and say, I'm really sorry that that happened because that wasn't the case. That wasn't anything that we were looking for. And to go through that with him, and he kind of was able to say, I'm really sorry about what happened with your daughter. And we were able to come to an agreement from there. But When everything went down with CPS, my aunt and her husband got, you know, her stepson an attorney. So 
in the end, you know, the officer was just, the detective was amazing, amazingly supportive of my daughter, telling her how proud he was and how hard he knew that it was for her to say what she had to say and making sure that that message got to her and I, I delivered it to her. You know, also just let me know that he was so apologetic. He was very apologetic for the way that the case was run. And I just had to tell him, you know, I really feel like this is the best way for it to have gone in the sense of everything came out. And I don't think it would have come out before. If they had an attorney before, it would have been shut down if it had really gone the way that it was supposed to go in the sense of like the investigation was for the person that it was supposed to be against. It would have been probably unfounded, would have not gone well, and we wouldn't be where we are today with him in jail and with them knowing without a doubt that she didn't lie. And what I would say is, honestly, just keep in mind that when kids lie, they're taught to lie. If they're in that situation, they are taught to lie. So don't assume that just because they lie, they can't be telling the truth about that. Think about why they're lying. When did the lying start? When did their other behaviors start? I mean, my daughter was lying from a very young age, but she was also violated from birth. So there's that. But we have that and that came to a decent conclusion. But again, we don't speak to my family and I don't, it's pretty much too little too late at this point. There's just not much that I have to say. If They can't even be honest and really own what they did and really own it and actually take the time to make a phone call to my daughter and be vulnerable to my daughter. I don't have anything to say to you. So there's that. And it's amazing how these kinds of things, these kinds of crimes impact families and break families apart. And too often the person who's been the perpetrator walks away with support that they really shouldn't have. Definitely been eye-opening there. Something else that's been really positive, while I only released four episodes last year, (laughs) I actually made a a best of list for 2022, and uh, that was posted on my Through the Undertow webpage. Um, So that was really exciting to be in a top 10 for sexual abuse podcasts. And I didn't even know about the list. I didn't put my name in for the list. They found me. I'm not really sure how, but it was just really amazing to have that happen. So hopefully... The plan going forward on for the podcast here is to do every couple of weeks. That might be a little bit of a slow go at the beginning here, just to get the content ready to go and get it put out. But the plan is to get the content out there every two weeks, something new, and then we can go from there. Maybe we'll be able to do it quicker. Honestly, maybe it'll take longer. I don't think it'll take longer because I do have quite a few episodes already recorded. Once those are out, hopefully the, you know, the point is to have more on hand by then to be able to continue to do that. So that's what we've got going forward. There is also an app that's reached out to me called the Wisdom app. And um, I'm really excited about that too. They're an app of essentially like personal mentors, I guess, is the easiest way to kind of explain it. Not, I don't know, it's really hard to explain. I get, I'm not the investor or the potential investor of it, but it's a, an app where you can go almost like, um, I guess a spaces for Twitter, but in an app and where you already know that the, the topics that are going to be discussed by whatever person, and it can be even more personal in the sense of, you know, it's one-on-one. I need to have a thousand followers on Twitter to be able to do that. And I certainly do not have that number yet. 
they might be willing to take me on with the type of content that I have already once I start to release more. But I would definitely like you all, if you can, to please like, follow my podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, but also follow me on Twitter at Through the Undertow. And, you know, hopefully we can make that happen. Again, my goal is to be here for you as much as I can be and to help you all through as much as I can help you through, whether it's my own personal experience or the research that I've done to help that forward. One other thing that I would like to say that I'm sure that other people going through this are understanding of and also have to go through is that, you know, the hard thing about this is when you're in the situation, and honestly, I would say everybody kind of needs to think twice about this, but in particular, people that are in situations similar to what, you know, I'm going through with my family, you have to be really, really careful on social media, what you're posting in terms of pictures or information, and even names that you use in your social media. My daughter, my oldest daughter, and my youngest daughter, both honestly were reached out to by my ex. I don't know how he had the audacity to do that, but he did. And he's acting like nothing happened and he didn't do anything wrong, which is not completely surprising. I'm one of those people who probably overthinks everything. So to me, it's like, are you that stupid? Are you that evil? Are you that manipulative? Is it a combination? Is it all of the above? Is it whatever? Like, how? what would make you think that your kids at this point would have anything to do with you after everything that you've done? And why in the world would you think that at this point, you would be able to manipulate them into saying that, oh, wait, nothing really happened. There's too much going on with them that supersedes anything that I could have made up. There's no way that I could have just made this up and tried and talk my kids into saying this for the benefit of what? Because at that point, I had walked away from him. It's just ridiculous. Like, they're grown kids two of the three are grown and on their own and well, adult and able to make their own choices. They can do whatever they want. They can have that relationship with their dad. And obviously that's not something that they would ever want to do. But again, I certainly don't tell them that they're not allowed to have relationships with anybody. It's their choice to make. Regardless, it's their choice to make. I would certainly caution them if they came to me and said, I want to do this. But ultimately that's not my choice. It's theirs. And even for my younger daughter, I would tell her, you know, then you that's something that you can discuss when you get older, when you're, you know, an adult and you're able to make that choice for yourself, then you can make that choice. But it's their choice. They don't want to have anything to do with him because he absolutely did exactly what they have previously told me he did. They didn't make it up. So it's frustrating because he is not allowed to be on social media and he is and has been since the moment he got out of prison. And I don't know what the rules would be if he were arrested for actual, you know, what he did to my kids, but because he was arrested for online internet child pornography, he's not supposed to be on the internet. He's not supposed to be online. And he is. And it's ridiculous that they don't keep a better eye on that. I don't know how they could. I'm not standing here saying easy peasy, but it should be, should be relatively easy to recognize that. There should be some way to oversee it, not just, hey, follow these rules and we're going to ask you if you are. There should be some way of making sure that they're accountable and that they actually have to follow the rules. And we've tried to handle that situation and it's, that part's not been good, but whatever. Hopefully at some point in the very near future, as I stated earlier, we're, I'm going to be looking really hard at that soon and at some point, hopefully we'll have some movement on that. I can come back and let you guys know what's going on with that. 
So, you know, I just kind of wanted to finish out everything, tell you the couple good things that were there. I do want to reiterate my, my son is really trying hard. And in some respects, my daughter is too. It's not so much that she doesn't want to get better, but the thing for her that's more difficult is she doesn't want to go through the pain. My son is at a point where he's able to recognize I have to deal with some of this pain and some of this uncomfortableness to get to the other side. And she's just not quite there yet. And she is all about running away from the pain and not able to recognize that even once you've dealt with it and healed from, it's still going to come up every once in a while. It's never going to go away. And I think that that's also the hard part is to, you know, there's nothing that you can tell your children of, oh, it'll get better or, oh, there'll come a point when you'll be you know, I make sure to tell them you're never going to be glad that this happened to you ever. And if anybody says that, it's ridiculous and they've never been through that or or certainly not through the experiences that my children have been through. But what I do tell them is I want you to be here and I want you to heal and have a good life so that at some point you can say, while I really am so angry, sad, whatever, that this happened to me, I'm glad that I stuck around to see what else I had going on, what else came to me in the future. And hopefully other people can get to that point as well. Other children can get to the point where you never get over completely what happened to you, but you can say, I am glad that I stuck around and I'm glad that I'm here. And I'm glad that this is going on now, that this, what's happening to me in this present moment, way after whatever happened to me is that I get to experience these amazing things. So hopefully we can help them with that. And I think that Again, the biggest thing that I can say is that I, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm still with you. I'm still going through it. Lord knows. And I'm still trying to find ways to not just help me and my children, but to help you as well. And I apologize if you hear the clicking. I click pens. I fidget. So that's it. I'm here. I'm, I'm here to help you as much as I can. I'm here to do the research myself because I want to know the answers. And I'm also more than willing to give you the information to help you as well. I would love some feedback. I'd love anybody to reach out to me at my email, you know, the through the undertow at gmail.com, T-H-R-U, the undertow at gmail.com. And as I said, there's going to be more episodes coming up. There's going to be some table for one episodes where I discuss just different topics. I'm going to also try and do some noteworthy episodes, some newsworthy episodes of, you know, what's happening in the news, because I don't know if y'all have been paying attention, but there've been a lot of child sexual abuse cases in the news lately. And I think that that is important. It's important to know it is going on all over. It is a true epidemic in our country. If you don't think so, then you haven't been paying attention. So many kids go through it. And I really believe that right now, with the way that our social media is set up, it's a predator's haven. They are loving it. And it's easy to get to the kids. And quite honestly, it's easy to get to the kids that have already been victimized because they don't know better. And I don't know what the answers are. But if we're not even looking at the problem, if we're not even asking the questions, we're never going to find the answers. So I hope very strongly that you will continue on this journey with me, that we can find the answers together. We can make this world a better place and a safer place for our children. And we can help those children that have already been victimized to heal and to be the amazing people that they were born to be and to be productive members of society, achieve their dreams, figure out how to make this world even better through their eyes. So thank you so much again for joining me. And until the next time, have a good one. That's it, folks. Thank you all for joining us for this episode of Through the Undertow. We hope you'll take a moment to visit our website at www.throughtheundertow.com. 
That's www.throughthru.com. While you're there, join our mailing list for updates on new episodes coming and some of the new things we'll be adding in the future. There's also a page to donate. It is through the generous support of our donors that we're able to continue to bring you content. Until next time, don't forget to take a moment to breathe. Know you're not alone, and we're here to help you wade through the undertone.